you have your Bible with you, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, we're actually worked out uh, this Sunday. We're actually looking at a story about an army general uh, today uh, from the kingdom of Aram. Kingdom of Aram. So at this point, we're going narrative lectionary through Scripture. And uh, I'll, let me put another disclaimer on this sermon. No one told you in seminary that if you didn't sleep well the night before, you still had to preach. <laughs> just things you don't think about, right? You just think every night before you preach, you're going to have a good eight hours of sleep. And last night, I slept like a baby. I was up every hour, it seemed like. <laughs> so uh, that's just things you still got to preach, still got to teach, still. Now it'll be good. So, but all that to say, my brain is working slower. I was doing announcements, and I, I just had to pause and say, what? What's the next thing I'm about to say? I had to go searching for it. But at this point, we're in the narrative lecture. We're going through the uh, story of Scripture together. Uh, of course, we can't hit every story. We'll be here for 10 years. But uh, we're going through, and we, we've been in the time of kings. We looked at King David, King Solomon. Uh, but now we're entering the time of the prophets. And, and so today we, we hear a story uh, about Elisha. Um, Elisha was kind of the apprentice and the follow-up to Elijah. Um, and Elijah, the, the greatest of the prophets, when Christ is transfigured, he's with Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And so today, as we read about Elisha, um, we won't go into too much detail, but he is a prophet. Uh, at this point, after King Solomon, after Solomon dies, the kingdom splits under his son, and uh, we are in a divided kingdom. So Elisha is a prophet in what we call the northern kingdom. Um, and so this uh, has greatly weakened Israel, as we will see. Uh, but let's turn now into 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man in high favor of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Armenians on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of all of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said this, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give life or death that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent message to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. And Elisha sent him a messenger saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought 
that for me he would surely come out and to stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of the Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word by the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, and he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early days of hospice, uh, I was told that they had a saying. The hospice, as we know it today, was started in the 60s in England. Um, and I just knew people that were around and helping it start here in America. And they said they had this saying about hospice care. That it was simple, but it wasn't easy. And what they meant by that was that hospice care was nothing complicated it was nothing extraordinary. It was very simple tasks that you had to do to care for someone who was dying. But to put all those things together and actually do them for that person in that time of life was never really easy to do. It was often difficult to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. I think that's true for us spiritually as well. We come across Naaman, who was a man who was accustomed to doing things that were not easy. You don't get to be head of a military army for an entire nation just doing easy things all of your life. He was a powerful man. He was a great warrior, the scripture tells us. He was highly respected. People thought great things about him. We're also told this, though, that God was active in his life. Here's the first sermon I won't preach this morning, but the fact that God is God of all the world, of all the peoples in the world, that God is not contained in our small box or our own boundaries or our own country, that God is at work all around the world. And here we're talking about Naaman, who we should remember is the enemy of Israel. Obviously, they have been going to battle with Israel and yet God is at work in his life. We Wesleyans have a, a term for this. It's called prevenient grace. That's a whole other sermon I won't preach for you this morning. But all that means is that God's grace goes before us. Ever before we choose God, God is already at work in our lives. So don't put God in a box. You never know whose life God is working in. He's working in everyone's life even if they are far off from him, even in the commander of a foreign enemy army. We find that uh, this great warrior, though, has leprosy. 
A man who has earned his living, he has earned great regard by using his body in warfare, is now leprosy. A little reminder about leprosy. We don't have it too much today. It's still around, uh, around the world a little bit. Leprosy is a bacterial infection in the skin. It's very slow growing, right? I had to look some of this up. Rebecca could probably fill you in more. Uh, she's been studying really hard for nurse practitioner stuff, but you probably aren't covering leprosy that much. Um, it's a slow-growing bacteria, so you may have it, not know it for many years, uh, but eventually it gets bad enough, it'll disfigure if it goes long enough, but it kills the nerve cells in your body, and so often if someone has advanced leprosy, they'll start literally knocking off. They, can't, they don't have feeling in their hands and their feet and different things, and so it's a, a very debilitating disease, especially for a man who is a leader of an army who needs to use his hands and, and his body. Um, and often many cultures during this time ostracize people with leprosy. So it's very serious. And we find another thing out, though. And this thing's a little more painful about the reality during this day that in warfare they would often take slaves from the enemy and make them serve in their household. And this is exactly what Naaman has done to the Israelites. In fact, they won, obviously, won battles against Israel. Israel is weakened now that they're a, a split kingdom. And they've taken a servant girl in, and he serves Naaman's wife. And here's the second sermon that I won't preach this morning. Aren't you glad I'm, I'm not preaching these sermons to you? She could have kept her mouth shut. She didn't have to say anything. Why would you help the enemy who captured you, enslaved you? And yet in this young girl, we see a gospel truth, love of the enemy. If it's not for this young girl speaking up, helping out, Naaman never comes to know who the God truly is in Israel. He never comes to know healing. And in fact, this entire story about the healing of Naaman, we have to remember, is the story about healing the enemy's general. That love of enemy is not only a core gospel truth and commandment from Christ, but we see it in the story this morning. Those are two good sermons that I'm not preaching before you. God is outside of our box and that we should love our enemies because we don't know how God is at work and how God can use that. But Naaman, he may not be a very spiritual man yet, you can tell, because he tries to find healing in all the wrong ways. Do you see that? He hears that someone may be able to he heal him in Israel, and so he says, I know what I'll do. And he tries first, he tries three wrong ways. He tries influence. I'm going to go to the king, and he's going to write me a letter, and he's going to send it, make sure I can get healed. It's all about who you know, right? Have you ever known anybody try to fix their problem with who they know? Influence. Try to find healing in all the wrong places. Next, he thinks he's going to bring money, right? You can solve almost any money problem with money, right? And so he, he gets a whole wagon load of shekels of gold and silver and garments, and he's bringing it to try to buy his healing. People today never try to buy healing, do they? Never try to fix the pain inside with purchasing more and more. Neither of these we know are going to work. Uh, you see, because Elisha is a true prophet, and that's what Naaman doesn't understand. Naaman thinks he can manipulate this man of God. He thinks that Elisha has full control over the healing. 
Naaman doesn't understand that Elisha is just an instrument of God, and it's all up to God's work through Elisha. So Naaman comes up trying all the wrong ways. And his plans backfire, as we see. The king in Israel, he's upset. He thinks this is just a ploy so that they can attack them more and take more of their territory and people. And Elisha hears word of this, and he says, what's the problem, king? Ah, send him on to me. I'm not worried. Perhaps now he'll know that there's an actually a prophet and a God in Israel. And so Naaman shows up. You can just, I love how the text says that he shows up with all of his chariots and horses and just, you know, he shows up in real power. This man's a general and he shows up with the prophet, great prophets he's heard about, house, right? And uh, he just can't wait to meet him. And Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Elisha sends his messenger, hey, go tell him. Just go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And the messenger comes out, and Naaman is enraged. This guy doesn't even, doesn't he know who I am? He doesn't even come out to see me. I'm the general, I'm the general of all of Aram. I could blow his house down right now, and he wouldn't be able to do anything about it. He doesn't even come out and show me the dignity to come see me. And then he wants me to do what? Yeah. Naaman's point here, we don't know all these rivers and different things. Many of us probably haven't been to the Holy Land. Um, but the Jordan is not that impressive of a river. In fact, we've been doing a video Bible series on Wednesday nights, and we've kind of seen some pictures. And if you, if you didn't tell me it was a Jordan, I would have thought it was a big creek. And in many places, it's, that's really all it is, is a big, muddy creek. You know, oftentimes when we're reading Scripture, I'm thinking of the Mississippi River, you know. Uh, my in-laws are here from Memphis. Rebecca grew up in Memphis. I'm, I'm thinking this mighty river the Jordan is, and it's not. And Naaman's thinking to himself, you want me to get down in that muddy creek? There's way better rivers that I could be getting in, way cleaner than your Jordan River. Don't you know who I am? I'm Naaman. I'm commander of an entire army. And you won't even come out to see me. And you want me to dip in a muddy creek. It's simple, but it's not easy. I've seen a few Naamans in my time in ministry. I find that like people, uh, people like Naaman uh, understand their need for healing, but they don't understand the ways to get healing. Like Naaman, they, they think it's going to be a big show, right? They think the prophet's going to come out and wave his hand like some hocus pocus, or they want something really hard to do. They want something very difficult to do to earn their healing. The Naamans I've encountered in ministry, and most people I would say today, understand that we need healing. Healing, by the way, is my preferred way to talk about salvation um, that sin has wounded us. Sin has wounded humanity and creation and that Christ brings healing in our lives. He brings healing in our relationship to God, but he also brings healing in our human relationships and he brings healing in the world, right? I love to talk about salvation in terms of healing and Christ's healing today. And so I, I just, as I look around, I see people and 
in the state of the world is in, most of us know we need some sort of healing. And a lot of people I run into, like Naaman, they're fine understanding Elisha can heal them or potentially healing them, right? A lot of people I run into, I know there's people that don't believe in God at all, but most of the people I, I run into, they're okay talking about God and Jesus and understanding there's healing to be found there. But the Naamans I run into in ministry, they're a lot like what happens. That they're on board until they go to the prophet and they hear what they must do. It's simple, but it's not easy. You want me to get in what muddy creek? Jesus, you want me to be friends with who? Jesus, you you want me to do what with my hard-earned money? Jesus, I, I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of... Those people are weird. They're strange. They sing all sorts of songs and hold hands and hug. I'm fine by myself. I don't need to go to church. Jesus, you you want me to forgive those people? Don't you know who they are or what they've done? You see, in my time in ministry, I don't think it's necessarily the mental assertion of who can heal that keeps people from Christ. I found that it's actually the path of following Christ. It's actually listening to Christ's words and allowing him to heal us because at the core of the gospel is this message of Jesus that you have to stop saving yourself. You have to stop trying to provide for yourself. You don't need to climb a mountain to save yourself. You don't need to do anything hard. You can't earn it. You can't fix yourself. You need to stop trying. You need to give up. It's simple, but it's not easy. We talk about this in a few ways in the church. We talk about dying to yourself to come to Christ, uh, taking up your cross, denying yourself, talk about a new creation. This morning, I want to put a little different spin on that and just say that Naaman and we are attached to a false self. Like Naaman, we have an idea of who we are, and we have to protect that idea, how important we are. And we struggle to let that false self die, because that's the call of Christ, that you have to die. That false self has to die so that you can have your true identity in Christ. It's false because it's not who you were created to be. Who you were created to be is found in Jesus Christ alone. That's the fullness of yourself. And our false self, it's self-centered, right? It focuses on me. It worries about me. It wants to protect itself at all costs. It wants to build itself up at all costs. The false self either tells you this, you're okay and everyone else is messed up around you. Call that pride. Or it says everyone around you is okay and you're the only messed up one. That's shame. But both are self-centered. And so the false self comes, tries to protect itself at all costs and tries to use money. It tries to use success. It tries to use fame. It tries to use a sexuality. It tries to use a whole host of other things to protect and secure itself. 
And that's how we grow up, trying to protect this false identity that we see so clearly in Naaman. And when it's confronted with us, when you say, you got to shed that false self to find healing, that's when we're not ready to do that. It's simple, but it's not easy. We want our healing, and we want to keep our false self too, but it's not possible. That to find healing in Christ, we must shed that false self. We must give up and surrender to Christ. It is only then we can find healing, true healing, and receive who we were created to be in Christ. The truth is that healing in Christ, it's always simple, but it's never easy. Fortunately, Naaman had a brave servant, someone who was willing to speak up, and this takes real bravery. He says, Naaman, if he would have told you to do something really hard, climb some mountains, do some great action, you would have done it in a heartbeat to find your healing. But because he tells you something simple, you reject it? Fortunately, Naaman listens. What this servant did is he held up a mirror to Naaman's false self saying, you see how ridiculous this is? Just surrender and go get down in the water of the Jordan and be clean. And that's exactly what he did. And he received the healing that he was looking for. Friends, the good news for us is that what Christ accomplished on the cross, his sacrifice for us is enough. It's simple. We don't have to climb a mountain. We, we don't have to whip ourselves. We don't have to crawl on our knees for miles at a time. We don't have to pay anything. We don't have to do anything other than stop, give up, and surrender to Christ. To give up our false self. That's all it is. There's nothing you can do. The good news is actually there's nothing you can do. It is not up to you. It's about what God has already done in Jesus Christ. I'd rather my identity, who I am, to be founded on what God has done rather than what Andrew Crimmins has done. Because Andrew Crimmins messes up and fails time and time again, but God never fails. So I want my true identity to be founded on what Christ has done out of love for me. It's simple, but unfortunately, it's not easy. It's good news, but it doesn't make it easier. Why is it hard? Because, well, people, we're in, in a, a world that it just breathes fire into our false self. We're so attached to that false self, we're scared if we let go. What happens if my identity is not based on what I've accomplished. What then? Who am I then? What happens if I can't believe that I'm better than those people? I'll be just like them. What happens if my identity isn't based on my bank account? And so we cling to the false self, scared of what happens if we let go and give ourselves over to Christ, not knowing that we are released then of fear and misery and hopelessness, and we can find peace and joy 
and our true identity in Jesus Christ. That's why it's simple, but it's never easy. Christ put it like this in Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there may be many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Essentially, Christ is saying that it is simple, but it ain't easy. I think we can hear that and we can, uh, I think our false self says, oh, good for me. Look at all those people who aren't going to make it, right? That's not why Jesus says that. Jesus says that to us so that we might look around and say, which path am I on? The warning of Jesus is to say, if you're on an easy road, if you're having a good time and just skating by, you may want to check if you're actually following Christ because you may be on the wrong path. Rebecca has done a lot more hiking than me. She's gotten me on a lot of adventures that you know about. Uh, but one of the times, you know, when we're hiking in Nepal, we don't have cell phone coverage. We can't just Google where we at. We don't have Google Maps. You're reading it by a book, and you're saying, turn left here, da 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 And if that book says the, straight, the path is going to be straight, but it's going to be uphill and hard, and if you're just plopping by saying, oh, this isn't bad, you've got to start wondering, are we on the right path? <laughs> or are we lost? My friends, this isn't just for someone who's first coming to Christ. This path, this journey is for all of us who are following Christ. It's not complicated. It's not hard in a way that we have to do any great feats, but it's just the fact of the nature that if we are living Christ-like lives, it won't be easy in the world that we know it today. If we are loving as Christ has loved us and has loved the world, well, look where it got Christ. And so my challenge for us today is that it is simple, but not easy. That if you're satisfied in your life of faith and you're just, you know, coming to church and, and living fine, but boy, this is so easy. Why doesn't everybody do this? You might have to wonder, am I following closely enough with Christ? Or am I being tempted to live into that false self? Am I on that easy and wide path that everyone around me is taking, right? It's not complicated. Uh, it's not about knowing all the answers. It's about living as Christ lives, staying closely behind him. And he warns us, he says, hey, the way if you want to follow me, the path of Christ, it's narrow and it's going to be rocky and difficult, right? And I'm not talking about the things that we all have in common. You know, all of us, every human will suffer because of health. Uh, every human will, will suffer disease. I, I'm talking about, are you allowing Christ to stretch you? Are you allowing Christ to challenge you? To push you beyond your boundaries? To, to lead you in uncertain areas? Are you putting your faith in action, risking a little sacrificing, right? Because I think sometimes we can be lulled even in the church into an easy and wide path, just coasting by, right? 
So Jesus calls to us. The good news is it's simple, but be on your guard. It's not easy. You might say, Pastor, maybe this is just me talking. Why can't it be easy? I mean, why, why, why can't it just be easy for everybody? Maybe I don't have a great answer for that. I don't know all things, of course. Amen. But as I look back at the last 10 years of my life, my earthly life, the two greatest things the last 10 years have been my marriage to Rebecca and being a father to my son. And I can tell you both of those experiences have been simple, but they have not been easy. But there is nothing I would trade in the world for those experiences. They have been an incredible blessing in my life. This is all I'd say to us. What is love if it's always easy? Is it really love then? What is grace if it's cheap? Is it really grace then? The good news of the gospel is that there's nothing you can do. Christ has already done it on your behalf. But we should recognize the cost of that grace that Christ bore on the cross. The love and grace that we enjoy from God, it's simple, but it was not easy for God to bring to us. It cost God a great deal. And so if at the very heart of the gospel is that truth that it's not easy, I don't think we should expect any different. If you want the easy path, the world has plenty of easy ways out to offer you. But let me warn you, the easy and wide path, you won't like where it leads. Instead, choose the way of God's grace and love. It's always simple, but it's never easy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask in these moments that you would speak to our hearts and we would allow you to stretch us, to move us, to renew us, to send us forth from this place. I pray that you would bring healing in our lives and, and we would open ourselves to you. Whatever burden we may be carrying at these moments, as we respond to your word, may we find peace, comfort, encouragement, and challenge now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As the servers come down, we partake in communion to be reminded that what the grace that we afford what it cost God. The great sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf is the foundation of our true identity. That it is not in anything you've done, and I hope this morning that you'll think about that as you come down, that you just dip down in those muddy waters of the Jordan and say, Lord, I, it's not about anything about me. It's only about you. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. All that we ask is you've made that realization or you want to. Turn your life over to Christ. Base your identity on what he's done for you. And the grace of God is yours. And I wonder for those of us that also that are, need to do kind of a spiritual check. As you come down, I'd invite you to pray in an altar before or after you partake in communion. I'd, I'd be willing to pray for you if 
you want annoying, but just to do a spiritual check and say, Lord, where would you send me? Is there any area that I need to walk closer with you on? Is there any area that I've been avoiding the hard path and taking the easy path in my spiritual journey? And I know Christ will be faithful to call you and to give you the grace to follow him closer every day. On the night our Lord is betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come receive the grace of Christ. Let's continue in time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful, and I pray that we'd never lose sight of the goodness of your calling to us to come and lose that false self and to find our true identity in you. And may we be humble and willing enough to do that, Lord, to lay down our lives, to pick them back up in Christ. Uh, would you keep us close to you, Lord? Uh, may you uh, guide our steps, and may we always be faithful to follow you on the narrow path, Lord. And may we not lose heart, may we not lose uh, encouragement as we uh, follow Christ day in and day out through good times and through bad, Lord. But may we have the joy that we know that we are safe and secure in you. We thank you for your sacrifice that has freed us and made this possible and I just pray that in the coming days and weeks ahead that we'd be able to share this good news with others around us. May in both word and deed, may people see the true self in us. May they want to know more about it. May they see the healing that we have. And may we be quick to reveal that to them and, and do acts of kindness and mercy to even our enemies, Lord, that people may know there is a source of healing in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are struggling this morning, for those that are carrying a heavy burden. Uh, I know there's many unspoken prayer requests, Lord. For those carrying physical burdens, we pray that your strength and healing touch would be upon them. Um, we think of uh, the Harmoning's nephew, Lord, who is struggling in the hospital this morning awaiting a lung transplant. We pray that you'd bless Michael, uh, strengthen his body, help him uh, to gain strength enough to in time for the transplant, but especially help his family, Lord, as this is a very scary time. We pray that you'd bless them and give them a peace. Uh, for those that are carrying chronic pain, Lord, uh, that are recovering from surgeries or are awaiting diagnoses uh, from biopsies, Heavenly Father, we pray that your peace would be upon them and that they may be able to trust in you, that you are a source of peace and strength, even for our physical needs. For those dealing with emotional burdens and relational burdens, Heavenly Father, whether it be in their family or friends group, may you help in these matters. And may we see your reconciling hand in our lives and for those around us, Lord. And may we have um, just the ability to reach across division, to reach across animosity or trial, Lord, and still to show the love and grace in every uh, instance that we may be a part of and those that may be struggling in our our uh, congregation, Heavenly Father. 
We lift up those who are grieving today, those who are missing loved ones, and we pray that your comfort would be with them. Lord, we, uh, we do lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are laying their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel, for missionaries who have given up everything to move, uh, for those that are just living in fear, um, for their witness to Christ. May you just bless them. May their, your spirit be upon them in powerful ways, and may you advance your kingdom all around the world. Uh, for those uh, that don't know the church yet or don't have a church in their area, may you send the church there, and may we be a part of that as we give faithfully and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We lift up our, our leader, Greg Mason, uh, our district superintendent, pray that you'd give him wisdom and grace and power as he leads us, Heavenly Father, uh, here in North Carolina. We, we lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. Would you give them wisdom and grace as uh, they uh, lead us and make decisions, give them wisdom, and may we treat other nations rightly and promote peace and justice wherever we can, Heavenly Father. Uh, we lift up and thank you for those that have served in our military forces, and we pray for those who carry a heavy burden for their time and service, those who still need healing, Lord, uh, may they find it in you and may you provide for them. Lord, we love you so much. We just thank you for all your many blessings, and we just choose you. We lay down our lives for you, and we're so thankful that our identity is found only in Christ. Help us to pray that prayer you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Well, a few of us may feel like naming sometimes. We get it wrong before we get it right. But once you do, remember, it is simple, but it's never easy. Give your life over to Christ, and the path will be straight, and he will help you through thick and thin. You can be found surely and safely in Christ forever and ever. May you be that person now and always.